0: Welcome to Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Curtis Birch, host and producer on News Radio 630, WLAP, the home of the Cats, right here in Lexington.
1: And I'm Kyle Tucker of The Athletic, and together, Curtis and I are here every day, Monday through Friday, talking the Cats. If it's a big deal to the Big Blue Nation, you can hear it right here on the Locked On Podcast Network.
0: This edition of the show is brought to you by First Watch. We'll tell you a little bit more about them in a bit. We got a couple things to clean up from the South Carolina game. We didn't get to mention Ashton Higgins uh, with TJ Beisner, and then we just got to get Kyle's take on the game, and we'll wrap this edition of the show talking about a controversy that I held off talking about earlier in the week, because I thought it was going to die down, uh, but then it just won't just won't quit. just keeps going. Um, but Kyle, I'll just kind of give you the floor. You've been off the podcast for two days. We had a basketball game since you've talked last. What are your just kind of thoughts on the South Carolina game overall, and Whatever else has been popping into your mind?
1: Well, I mean, sort of stating the obvious, Kentucky, to me, just really, really, really looks like a Final Four you know, team right now. A Final Four contender, for sure. Um, obviously, nine wins in a row. Uh, was this three straight by double digits? Two of those three by a total blowout. You know, if you, if you just if you talk about how they finished those games, uh, I mean, they outscored Florida by 22 over the last 13 minutes. I think this has been a really impressive stretch of basketball. Um, you know, you could kind of poo-poo the South Carolina win as a, a home game against a team that was, what, a couple games above 500, um, But they were a team that played really well in conference, you know, struggled against a good non-conference schedule and really played well in conference. They're, you know, a Frank Martin team. They're, they're, they're tough. They're physical. They're going to challenge you. Um, and, and I thought it was just really – Really impressive, one, to kind of weather an early storm where, you know, the, the thing that always happens happens. A team comes in there and a random dude starts four of four and three of three from a three-point range, and, you know, South Carolina's got a small early lead. But from kind of from that point on, just really total domination from Kentucky. And, two, like it's like they continue to win in different ways with different guys leading the way. Other than you know, PJ Washington is now on a really bona fide, you know, what five game string of Mm -hmm. just really, really good performances. He went three straight 20 point games, didn't get it last game at Florida, but it was clearly the dominant force, uh, in that game at Florida, and then comes back with another 20 point game uh, against South Carolina. So, uh, basically five games in a row where he's averaging, you know, in the neighborhood of 20 points and 10 rebounds that is impressive to me just that he has found a way to keep that um, motor cranked. Um, And then, and, but, but beyond that, it's just, it's different guys beyond PJ, it's different guys kind of stepping up. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure you talked about it with uh, with TJ and, and pretty, at pretty good length about EJ Montgomery. But the fact that this dude, like the guy, the the one guy who's really not had a, a huge game yet, Finally, has his huge game tells you how deep they are. Jamal Baker, I thought, gave him good minutes. Um, yeah, and real but, quick you know, um, e. on EJ Montgomery.
0: On on Jamal, since you mentioned him, I, I didn't mention it last time. But the thing to keep in mind with him going forward is he's still coming back. He's not all the way at a hundred percent, and he admitted such that you know he still wants to improve and got things he's getting better at it. So he's not even. I don't even think Kyle and you probably agree with. He's not even close to his ceiling at this point in the season and. There's a chance, I guess, we could see it by the end of the year, but most likely it's going to be next year when you really see uh, him make that jump.
1: Yeah, and, I, and, I, and as we've mentioned, I wrote a long piece about him and, and sort of um, where he comes from and how he's built and what, you know, the commitment he has to the game. He, you know, he, he went to high school 40 miles and with LA area traffic, you know, an hour plus, you know, commute every day in the pre dawn hours to get to school. Uh, early enough to do workouts before high school every day. And he, I mean, he, he's got the commitment to to do the work it takes. And and he has said he's super rusty. I mean, the guy took a year and a half off dealing with multiple knee injuries. He had two knee surgeries to get that meniscus finally cleaned up. You know, conditioning-wise, it's an issue. Just knowing what Kentucky's running is an issue. Uh, and then getting that feel back for the game, not having not played competitive games in a year and a half, uh, is an issue. And yet, he's still... Giving him pretty good minutes off the bench, in the long term, a guy like Jamal Baker, I feel like, and the reason I spent you know over two thousand words on him, a guy with the ninth man on the bench, you know, is I feel like he can really be a a, a big big piece for Kentucky. What a, what a luxury to have one have him this year as just like a a guy at the end of the bench if you need a guy to give you a little spark or make a couple shots. And and I think to a lot of people's surprise, you know, play well defensively. But in the long term, if you've got that guy next year as a third-year sophomore and the year after that as a fourth-year junior, you know what a building block and, and just a kind of a blue guy type player he can be. And I, you know, the guy I was about to mention, E.J. Montgomery, is another who it, it feels to me like he's not going to be ready to go to the NBA, but yet this is the guy who is the highest. I mean, when does it, it happened that the highest-ranked guy they got in a recruiting class was pretty clearly going to come back for a sophomore season. And if that happens for E.J. Montgomery, given the glimpse of what we've seen from him lately, you know, the numbers weren't there, but the impact was there in the Florida game. Like he came in and made a huge impact, got a couple of really game-turning rebounds. And then this last game, the numbers were there, 11 points, 13 rebounds in 20 minutes off the bench. He hits a three-pointer as a six-foot 6'10", 6'11 guy. Um, when you think about that, when you think about guys like E.J., um, and Jamal, uh, Nick Richards, guys who are giving them some good stuff and flashes, and are huge luxuries off the bench. Like it tells you how deep this team is for this season, but it also makes you imagine, you know, what kind of nucleus they could have coming back next season to to have another run at it.
0: Yeah, I mean that the depth on this team is something that I think probably when you, you look in years past, when maybe Kentucky got bounced a little bit earlier than they anticipated. Uh, you know, the like the Ulysses and Murray year, and then last year they probably had more talent. Well, I shouldn't say probably. They had more talent than Kansas State, even though Kansas State has all of a sudden become a juggernaut in the Big 12 this season. But, you know, if one guy has an off night, like P.J. Washington miss, missing free throws against Kansas State, and, you know, that's been talked about to death, and obviously he had a great game outside of the free throws, but there's nobody else. there was nobody else on the team to really pick up the rest of the slack. And this season... It is kind of the complete opposite because Calipari can just roll through guys until we find somebody that's hitting.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, like Ashton Hagens was the, the the heart and soul of the team during as they kind of got back up and running again. Well, he had an awful first half. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and I, I, tell, I, mean, I tell six what, turnovers in the first half. Yeah, and they're still up double digits and and they still win big.
0: That's the guy I want to talk about next. Um, and I got a because I asked Calipari about him, and Calipari had some some interesting reasons why that ended up happening and how it could be kind of spun as a positive going forward. Also, I do want to talk about Tyler Hero with Kyle because Kyle wrote an extensive piece on Hero. That's why he actually missed Monday's or the show that was posted on Tuesday. Uh, So we got to get him to talk about that. Uh, But before we do all that, we do need to tell you guys about First Watch. And Kyle, I know you love their breakfast, and your family does as well.
1: We do. Uh, people have heard this. Our regular lis- listeners have heard this many times, but it is it, it is always true. First Watch is a place that we love to go. We love to take the twins. They're always good to us. The food is great. Uh, my wife loves to take her clients there for lunches. We love to go for breakfasts and brunches. Uh, the million-dollar bacon is, is not a million dollars, but it tastes like it. It's <laughs> really good. Uh, it's basically candied bacon. Uh, all the breakfast food is good, the, um, the lunch food is great. Not a dinner spot, you can't have dinner there, it's only um, breakfast and lunch. Um, but man, it's really good good food, really great service. They're very patient with the uh, people who have kids uh, and they're, uh, they're always friendly, very welcoming. And like I said, we my family loves eating there. I, I've yet to have a bad item uh, off the menu.
0: They're open from 7 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. every day and they get busy, but they have a First Watch mobile app now, which you can use to check on wait times and get in line before you even get there. They've got three restaurants in Lexington, which are all locally owned, and a few over in Louisville and a couple up in Cincinnati, too. So if you're listening to us in those areas, there's a good chance this one is close to you. First Watch. Yeah, it's fresh. You are locked on Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. Okay, so Ashton Higgins, Kyle. Um, the thing that uh, you, you, you pointed out, he had six turnovers in the first half. And Calipari described it this way. He said, uh, we, here, here's the quote from Cal when he was talking about South Carolina. This team plays different than any team we will play. What we were telling him is you got to get in the lane and make decisions. Well, it's the first time. It's like we weren't running many plays, just get into the lane and make decisions. His decisions weren't good, but in the second half, he got a better feel, and it had a better flow, and he made better decisions. He had no assists and six turnovers at half. He had four assists and no turnovers in the second half, which is why the score was what it was. And that's why I said that that's a positive going forward, Kyle, because Ashton Higgins learned a lesson in the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, like it all kind of started turning into a blowout right before halftime. He gets his sixth turnover. He gets it stolen from him and immediately steals it back, finds E.J. Montgomery, uh, who had been crushing on the boards but hadn't scored, I believe, at that point, finds E.J. Montgomery uh, for an easy bucket, and that kind of got E.J.'s offense going, uh, sent Kentucky to the locker room on a good note and kind of reset things for, I think, Ashton hagan's It was like, okay, that's my last turnover. It's going to be – I think it was his third steal. Uh, he did play good defense again, although he had a couple lapses, um, and, and really distributed the ball well. Four, four assists, no turnovers, and a half is great uh, if you have not put together – a 6 turnover no assist first half. So it was uh but but again like that that to me one you are right I think it's good that he learned a lesson. It's good that it wasn't an, a a total bad game. It was a, a – I mean the the most cliched thing ever, the tale of two halves, but it's good to know that like okay, you played a horrible half. We're going in halftime, we talk to you about what went wrong. You come out and you play a complete opposite second half, much better and, and you, you show that you can, in real time, not just like go home and study it and practice it later, but in real time you can adjust and play better. That That's significant, I think. It's a, It speaks well of his sort of uh, basketball intelligence that he could flip the switch like that, um, but also that they could be comfortably in control. I think it was, what, uh, what was it, 11 at halftime? Uh, up 11 against a, a feisty team, a physical team, and a team that had thrown something at them that they hadn't seen, and with their offensive leader having played a horrible game you know um, I think that's pretty significant for Kentucky that other guys that 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 Higgins could play that poorly and other guys could play well enough that they're still up comfortably at halftime and Mm -hmm. then kind of run away with it once he gets his gets his stuff back together in the second half
0: all right Kyle let's let's discuss your piece on Tyler Hero and I'll just read the title Kentucky's Tyler Hero is shaking the stereotype that he's simply a shooter. You talk to a bunch of different people in this piece, as you normally do when you do these kind of profiles. Um, you know what? It, what kind of maybe stood out from some of the quotes that you got from some of the people you you talked to about Tyler?
1: Yeah, it was all kind of based on the what what Kenny Payne said a couple of weeks ago. I guess last week. Um, you know, he's out to prove that he's not just a just quote unquote a white guy who can shoot it, white kid who can shoot it. Um and that that that's a stereotype with white players like if you're a good white player it's cuz you you're a three-point shooter and that's all basically all you can do and that's kind of the stereotype but you know Tyler Hero's not been a great three-point shooter that's the weird thing about it like he's had games where he shot it great and made a bunch of threes but his percentage for the seasons like 35% uh a little under I think um he's shown that he can do a lot of other things and it's like you know there's this assumption the white kid can shoot it he's not an athlete he's not you know he's a defensive liability you know all the things that I think are kind of stereotypical of the of the good white player he's kind of knocking some of those down he's become a really good defender there was the Kansas game where he was on the Gerald Vick um, who was their best perimeter threat and three-point shooter and until his last two desperation threes in the last, like, 80 seconds of the game, Vic had only attempted six shots and only had four points uh, with Tyler Hero as his primary defender. So that's there. Um, you know, he can drive and attack and finish. We've seen him dunk. We've seen him, uh, you know, hit the the creative sort of put some English on the ball off the glass in traffic type finishes at the rim. Uh, the the drive and pull up and, and the you know, that mid-range game um he rebounds you know he's had some seven eight you know rebound games Um, he's he's to me has shown that he's got an all-around game i mean in sec play just in sec play he's like first or second on the team in every category and so you know i think he's he wants to and and he is kind of knocking down the myth of the you know the white kid who can shoot and that's kind of it Talk to rex chapman a former white kid who could do a lot more than shoot at kentucky about Tyler and his game. Talked to Tyler's dad, and you know that was a thing he said to him early on. Like, look, if if you if you want to make it to the highest level, like, there's going to be a stereotype about you. Like, people are going to assume that oh, here's a white kid. All he can do is shoot. You need to prove. Like, don't worry about that part of your game. Prove you can do all the other stuff. Um, talked to his high school coach about that. Um, you know, talked to several people. NBA, an NBA scout who. You know, his opinion was like, "Nah, that's actually the thing." He, the reason he thinks Tyler should come back to school is to prove he's a more consistent shooter. But the thing that's intrigued him and put him on the board is that he can do all those other things. You know, to the point that, like, he he can go if he wants to go at the end of this year. He's going to get drafted. I mean, most people have him in the forties right now. Uh, you know, the NBA scout I talked to said that's probably about right. But everyone I talked to thinks like he's a guy who's shown enough. If he get, becomes a little more consistent, refines his game a little bit more. Uh, as a sophomore, yeah, you know, he's got the potential to be an all American in college and a you know, a top twenty pick, a first rounder, like an easy first rounder, probably in the top twenty. And and I think there's a there's a possibility that if he just dominates next season, Tyler Hero could be a lottery pick. And, you know, I, I think maybe PJ Washington's story um, is big for Kentucky because PJ's helping himself a bunch and I think they're obviously different players and play different positions, but Tyler could look at that and say, "Like this could be me a year from now."
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, you 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 had you asked Calipari about that. Uh, it was after the Florida game, and he, he kind of didn't want to discuss it in length. But I mean, I'm, I would venture to guess that he's talking about that behind the scenes with various different guys. And you know, we rolled through EJ Montgomery is probably in a similar boat in the sense that uh, I'll see if you agree, Kyle. He would get drafted if he put his name in the in the draft because of all the potential and all the things you see. But obviously coming back would do a ton of good for him. Um, so P.J. Washington could be one of the more important players in the history of the John Calipari era for several reasons, which is really kind of interesting to see. And just kind of like a quick note on P.J. And he, I think I mentioned this earlier, he seems to be enjoying post-game interviews a little bit more. He, he does not a big fan of them, and I think... You would agree with that, right, Kyle? Like PJ isn't isn't one of the guys that is busting down the door to get out and talk to us. But yes. he uh he's had a couple good games which makes talking easier easier, but he seems to be more confident in himself. And that's showing all over the place.
1: Oh, I think that's absolutely I mean there's just no there's just no question that When you know you're going to come out and you're going to get questions about, like, why aren't you more consistent? Like, if you can do this this game, why did you not do it that game? And, uh, you know, have you been working on your free throws? And, you know, all the kind of stuff that PJ's been asked over the last year and a half, um, you're going to be more reticent. You're not going to want to talk to us. You're, You're going to be defensive by nature because you know some of the questions are going to be critical um but when you're playing really well and the questions are like isn't this why you came back like you this is exactly what people wanted to see from you like you you feel happier about the situation because you know in some form or fashion most of what you're going to get asked is stuff that you're proud of yeah um and that makes a difference so yeah I mean I think he's been better um because there's you know there's not a whole lot to nitpick in his game right now and you know I think if you're Cal Perry you hope he loves that feeling like Do you enjoy, you know? Do you enjoy hearing like, oh yeah, this is what people wanted to see, and you're doing it? Versus like, why aren't you doing it? Like, who wants to answer that question? Why aren't you better? You know, like it's like the sibling thing. Like, why aren't you more like your brother? Like, that's uh, nobody wants to answer that. So the easy way to not answer that is to go be better. And for five straight games now, he's been, he has been exactly the player I thought he would be, could be. When he announced he was coming back, yep. and, and like you know, we've talked about this, but if this was a whole season, if he played this way the entire season, I think it would be him and Grant Williams one-two in the in the SEC Player of the Year race.
0: Yep, I I agree with that as well. Um, coming up next, a couple of like super random notes from post game. Uh, the Kentucky players had some had some things happen, and then we'll wrap up with that story that just won't quit. But before that, did you guys know that? The Locked On Podcast Network is going live with an NBA trade deadline special Thursday at 1.30 Eastern, live on YouTube on the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Channel, hosted by David Locke and fantasy expert Josh Lloyd, plus all the local experts of the Locked On Podcast Network. We will break down all the deals, give the fantasy perspective, and have the local angles. It starts Thursday, 1.30 Eastern, 90 minutes before the trade deadline on YouTube at the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Channel. We'll see how many Kentucky players are moved. You are Locked On, Kentucky, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. So the random random notes, one, first one, P.J. Washington, second one, Jamal Baker. P.J. Washington had a Friends hoodie, like the show. It was the font that they have. Awesome. Written. And um, uh, so if you saw pictures of that and you're like, why is P.J. Washington wearing a Friends hoodie? You're welcome. I asked him why. And he said, I don't, I like the hoodie. I never watched the show. So he's not a Friends ah! fan. He just apparently liked the font and likes Friends. So there we go, the word Friends. Okay. And uh, also of note for the sneakerheads out there, shout out to all the sneakerheads. Ashton Haggins and Jamal Baker were wearing the self tying shoe that Nike put out. Ashton Higgins changed his shoe at halftime. Uh, we discussed that a little bit, I think, with T.J. Beisner. That happens a couple times when Haggins has a bad first half. He'll just change his shoes. You guys pay close attention to that. You've seen it earlier this season. But Jamal loved the shoe. Said they fit his foot really good. It was kind of cool to have it self lace, or you know, it doesn't really lace. That's not the best way to describe it. It just kind of tightens, I guess, the way I understand it. Um, but there you go. That's something that I'm sure Kentucky's using in recruiting as well. Hey, come come to Kentucky, and you get to wear the cool space shoes that you don't even have to tie.
1: I like that Cal likes to sell to them that they're not going to be pampered and catered to, and then they put self-lacing shoes on their feet. <laughs> Contradictory messages.
0: Oh, yeah. Are you sick of having to tie your shoes? I, can, I imagine, like, the Nike... <laughs> I want to make that Nike shoe in a, a terrible infomercial where you're just, like, stumbling yeah. on are the- you a
1: distance? <laughs> are you a distance runner who wakes up at 5 a.m. to get your exercise, but you're too lazy to tie your own shoe? And then it goes to... We got the sneaker for you. It
0: goes to the black and white where someone's like fumbling over shoelaces and like falling over. And you like trip over a shoelace and conk your head. And then it's like... So, all right.
1: They're never going to catch up to the Reebok pumps, by the way. Those were the greatest shoes ever made.
0: That was pretty good. Those were pretty good. They were pretty, pretty cool. So finally... Uh, as I mentioned at the top, I've not commented on this story much publicly. I had a couple tweets, but we haven't mentioned it on the podcast. The Oregonian had a story about T.J. Gasnola and how his thing, whole thing worked with the federal prosecutors and how they got money from Adidas and gave it to players. Um, if you want to read that, you can. But it became kind of a Kentucky issue because the picture that they used was featured, featured John Calipari in it. Uh, it was Calipari, Derek Kellogg, the former coach of UMass and former John Calipari point guard, and then the background between the two was Gasnola. Um, so J. Billis tweeted it out. J. Billis got a lot of reaction from UK fans saying this picture's bad and it is just being used for clicks, et cetera, et cetera. John Calipari's daughters, Aaron and Megan, got involved. They were re- replying to some the, the J. Billis tweet about it. They didn't like the picture of their father being used as well. Jay Billis replied to a tweet that was replied to Megan, I believe, and so she was in the tweet, and then Billis kind of made a pompous comment about you should read the article or have someone read it to you. That was interpreted as directed at, uh, I believe, Megan Calipari, and then it kind of took off from there. Uh, First off, Kyle, I just kind of – my quick thing is I think – Jay did not direct any hatred towards John Calipari's daughters. It got slightly misinterpreted. And to be honest, I will say this in defense. They don't necessarily need to have me defend them. But the when you're in a situation like being John Calipari's daughter, you do probably get a ton of hate that you don't deserve often. And so I understand why they might be uh, sensitive. And when they see a tweet like that in their mentions, they react to it. And I'm not going to get really upset about them uh, doing that. But overall I kind of feel like the Jay Billis versus Calipari daughters things was more of a misunderstanding than anything else.
1: Yeah, I mean I think you you nailed exactly how I feel about it. I mean, off the top, the the picture was was a mistake. You know, I mean it, it, it there's no justifiable reason to use a picture of John Calipari if he has no connection to the story. Um you know, and do I think it was used as clickbait? Probably not. I think it was just – and they, they put out an explanation that it was just the most recent photo of Gasnola. But, like, people have tweeted other pictures from that same moment where, like, Mike Krzyzewski is sitting two seats down, you know, basically in the same proximity to Gasnola. And, other you know, other guys are – you know, this dude was around everywhere. There's no – there to this point, there's been no connection to him and Cal Perry. I mean, Kentucky's obviously a high well... school and –
0: you know. There there was, I mean, and this was the other thing, the quote that had kind of been thrown around, and this was not in that article, uh, but Gasnola had been talking about how, it, and I think it was it was actually Mass Live is the name of that place. Uh, the quote was that Gasnola said he would take a bullet for Calipari, and he actually had a couple players go to Memphis from his program. Okay. Um, so they had, okay. and they had a relationship at some point, but it doesn't seem like they've had one recently, if that makes sense.
1: Right. Well, the, the point being that, like, so far, Calipari has not been connected in any way to Gasnola's illicit behavior that That's is fair. the subject of the FBI investigation. And so I can understand people being frustrated, certainly Kentucky people and certainly the Calipari children, uh, over a picture that, like, I mean, look, any way you frame it, like, with the headline, the incendiary headline of that story, and then a picture of John Calipari with this dude front and center. And also, it's like, I think there's also confusion about the identification. Like, he's talking to, to Kellogg, his former player and the UMass coach at the time. And is kind of behind them and in between them, looking a different direction. Like, if you just look at that photo in the headline, you assume, like, Cal's chummed it up with TJ Gasnola. Because you probably, most people have no idea who TJ Gasnola is. It's not, it's not the guy Cal's talking to. Like, the whole thing... It's sort of a misleading picture that is painted at, at first glance and that's the reason it was the wrong photo to use like there's I think if there were, had yeah. been any kind of you know in-depth discussion or at, oversight at the editor well, level yeah about yeah. that that you would have said you would have come to that conclusion as the editor and said let's not use that photo I don't know that it was like oh we're gonna get clicks if we do this which is everybody's assumption now like everything's clickbait I don't know that that was true either I think it was the wrong picture to use. You should not have used the picture. If you had the benefit of, of a discussion and, you know, all of the information, like, is Cal in this story? Is he connected in any way that we're aware of? No? Okay, let's not use a picture of John Calipari. And for that matter, Derek Kellogg, like, he, you know, he's less famous and less big of a deal, and so it's like we're not talking about that it was unfair to him, but it was also kind of unfair to him because, mm-hmm. uh, to my knowledge, he's not tied up in that as well. But – you know, and then the other end of it, the Bill thing. As as I'm reading it, and the way Twitter works can be confusing. Megan Calipari or one of the Calipari daughters commented on, in response to Jay, about that because Jay had just tweeted out the story with had the head which had the headline and had the picture, and I assume that's the first place they saw it. Commented on that, like, why is there not another picture? This is the only picture you had of this guy. You had to put, you know, our dad in it. And then a Kentucky fan responded to both of them, crapping on the uh, the whole deal. And Cal, and then you know, Billis gives a I think I think it's fair to say kind of a, a snippy, crappy reply that I think was directed at the Kentucky fan, not Megan Cal or Aaron, whichever one it was. Um, about you know, have somebody read it to you, read it, or have somebody read it to you. I think that was directed at the the UK fan because his reply includes that fan and the Calipari who had initiated the conversation. And again, Mm -hmm. this is where like Twitter can throw people off (laughs) because of just the functionality of it. Uh, And then, you know, I think Aaron Calipari, you know, kind of blew up Billis's spot because she interpreted it as a sort of a sexist thing. Like, do you think women can't read? And and then, of course, all of you know Big Blue Nation jumps on it, and it becomes this whole thing. And then Billis goes on Kentucky Sports Radio and a, sort of apologizes, but then gets in another pissing match on Twitter with somebody else. Uh, let's just like, here's the I, thing: here's I hate Twitter. Can we just like, can he, we find a new? This is the thing, a new Kyle. Forum to communicate other than Twitter because everything gets lost in translation. Everybody hates everybody. Yes. Everybody argues. Everybody, everything's a controversy, and I just don't know that it should be i I, I, i'm with the calipari daughters that i think it was the wrong picture to use i'm not necessarily with all the people that want to murder jay billis because i think he's one of the smartest most interesting and thoughtful people and one of the most important people to college basketball like he's a huge ambassador an important one for the sport i don't think his house needs to be burned down either so uh, it's a cold take but it's kind of where i am with this whole deal
0: we got to wrap here, but I'll just leave it like this. This whole thing is just amazing. Mainly from the, I mean, I, I think we, as we categorize the Calipari uh, family versus quote unquote Jay Billis is kind of a misunderstanding, and I, I, I would, I would imagine both of them can kind of agree on that. Um, but the whole picture controversy, uh, like you said, it was it, it was the wrong picture, and maybe it wasn't fair necessarily. But it isn't this big of a freaking deal that we're talking about it four days later. Like, my goodness, this is just, yeah. this is just silly. So, there we go. That's going to end that. All right. Um, be sure to be following along with us. You can find the show on Twitter, at LockedOnUK. And we just went over a 1,000 Twitter followers. For, so, thanks for everybody uh, for following along the show there. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search Locked on Kentucky. You can follow Kyle on Twitter,
1: at Kyle Tucker underscore A-T-H, even though I just told you Twitter sucks. We're really pumped about all the people following the podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, because we just have fun interactions with our, our Twitter feed. We just have, you know, stupid polls like DJ Washington's best nickname. You can follow me at B U R C H. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, and then most importantly, share this podcast with somebody else who would enjoy it. If you only love Kyle Tucker and haven't listened to the past two episodes, one, shame on you. But two, go back and listen to them because TJ Beisner was awesome. And then if you missed the Tuesday edition of the show, Cash Daniel, there's some audio in there that you're going to want to check out. Thanks so much, guys. We'll talk to you soon. And thank you to First Watch for sponsoring this edition of the show. Are locked on Kentucky available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell Alexa or Google to play podcasts locked on? Don't worry, I won't finish. You get the idea. Started to kind of comment. Um, Jay Billis replied to a What is going on, Kyle? Kyle, I don't know what that was
1: weird. Like, it just like disappeared on me. It was still connected, but it was I couldn't hear anything.
0: But I got like music. <laughs> I don't know what is I was hearing like music. I don't I literally really? have no idea what happened. That's yeah. Weird. That was really weird. Um anyway.